Okay, friends, the story begins. We're back after a little bit of a couple week hiatus. We are on the bottom of page 31, and today we're going to explore Ashrei. This is the more one of the more common prayers, so it's going to be nice to get, dig into it. The title that we put on the WhatsApp earlier, anybody remember? What real leadership looks like. And what you're going to notice, hopefully by the end of today's discussion, the next half hour or so, is that today's theme, last week's theme, the week before, and probably the future themes for the next several weeks, pretty much the same, pretty much overlapping. Because again, why are we going through all these praises? It's not because God needs to be praised. He has a very healthy self-esteem. But it's for us to better internalize who God is. That's why we begin prayer. Again, the meat and potatoes of prayer is the Shema and the Amida. But we have to work up to that. We start by praising God. The more we praise God with the framework that our sages have given us, the more we can internalize who God is. The Talmud says something fascinating about Ashrei. So, so just before we talk about the Ashrei, from page 31 until page 35, we read the last five, six chapters of the entire Psalms. The next six pages, five pages, is really cut and paste from the end of the book of Psalms. King David's praises to God. And the Talmud says that anybody who recites the Ashrei, the Tehillah the David prayer, the third verse starts with Tehillah the David. The two prior verses are actually taken from other places. But anybody who recites this prayer three times a day is going to go to Olam Haba, is going to enter the world to come, the world of paradise. Uh, so I must admit I've heard that before, but I've been confused. And maybe maybe you're going to talk about this, but in the Siddur, um, the the verse that starts Poteach, I heard that that's the one you have to say three times a day, or you have Kavana for it. But you're right, so that that's the one you specifically have Kavana for, and you'll, and you'll soon see why, how that's that represents the pinnacle. So so when the Talmud actually mentions that. That when you say this entire psalm three times a day, we say it twice during Shachris, one by Mincha. We don't say it by Mar, which is a whole discussion beyond the scope of this class, but it there's a reason for it. And the Talmud gives two reasons. Number one, it goes in the order of the Aleph Bet. The commentary, Abu Davram. Anybody heard of the Abu Davram? Have we quoted him before? Abu Davram was one of the very first commentaries on the Siddur. Going back to medieval times, maybe even a little bit earlier. And he explains that the ashray contains the entire Aleph Bet. Right? Each sentence starts with the next letter of the alphabet, representing the entire uh, scope of praise to God. In other words, you could have used any of those sounds to do anything. And we chose to use them specifically, direct them toward the praise of God. That's what the Boy of Ram says. Many of prayers throughout the, for that reason go in the order of the alphabet, especially high holiday season. Many of the high holiday prayers throughout Slichos and throughout the repetition of the Amidah go in the order of the alphabet for that very reason. But then there's another reason 
what makes this prayer so significant that somebody can go to the world to come because of this prayer is for the reason that John mentioned. Because it has a very specific verse. Take a look on page 32, please. Um, 13 lines from the bottom. You see it? You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. All of our needs come from God. Let's read that in the Hebrew. Nine lines from the bottom. You see how efficient Hebrew is? <laughs> Less words. Poiteach et yadecha. You open up your hand. Umazbia. You satiate. You satisfy. Lecholchai. To all living ruts and will. To all those, every living thing's will and desire. Because of these two reasons, you enter. I'll, I'll be honest. I was. I read this Talmud piece of the Talmud, a couple of months ago. And you know what I said to myself? So? <laughs> it sounds nice. It has the Olivet. It says, you open up your hand. It has that unique, special verse. But why is that relevant? Why is that going to get me into Olam Haba? Why is that so worthwhile saying every single day? So, one of the commentaries, known as the Olat Re'iyah, the Olat Re'iyah is a collection of teachings by Rav Kook. Anybody heard of Rav Kook? Kook was one of the very first uh, chief rabbis, Ashkenazic chief rabbis in the state of Israel, before it was even a, even a state, the turn of the 20th century. So his son collected Rav Kook's teachings in a book called Olat Re'iyah, Olat Re'iyah. And he says it's these two traits of the Ashrei that tell us who God is all about which is what Olam Haba is. What, this is what the future world is all about, the future to come. It's all about seeing the truth. On the one hand, God is the ultimate of greatness. From Aleph until Taf. It goes in order of the Aleph phase. From A to Z, from beginning to end. He is the beginning. He's the end. He is, was, will be. He Checks all the boxes, every category of praise. He's praiseworthy. On the other hand, he opens up his hand and satisfies our will. On the other hand, he's relevant. He cares about us. That's real leadership. He's so great and he still cares. He finds us relevant. We matter to him. That's what the ashray is all about. That's what God is all about. That's what leadership is. If you want to learn leadership, we learn from God. They say the difference between a boss and a leader. A boss is hung up on how much great they are and how much in charge they are. And a leader is focused on whom they're leading, not on themselves. God is so great and still he cares about our desires. He cares about our will. And he opens up his hand and satisfies our will. All of our needs are taken care of because of him. He's great and he's relevant. You see, God has a... I've mentioned this before, but Groucho Marx used to say, why would I want to be part of a club that wants me as a member? <laughs> why would I... Why would I serve a God? You know, in other words, if, if God is taking interest in me, why would I serve him? <laughs> 
And if God doesn't take interest in me, he's not really relevant, right? There's this occupational hazard. Our teachers have this occupational hazard as well. Or rabbis or really anybody in, in any position of influence. If if a teacher is too uh, cordial with their students, students aren't going to respect the teacher. They're not going to learn anything. And if the teacher is too abstract from the students, students aren't going to want to learn from the teacher. So there's this, it's either I don't need you or I don't want you, right? So there's this, there's this dichotomy. But God somehow figured it out. Turn back to page 31. Take a look at the third sentence of Ashrei. A Psalm by David. Do you see it? A Psalm by David. I will exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever. I'm going to read it in the Hebrew because what we're trying to do right now, expose what's really going on. It's going to make more sense in the Hebrew. Do you see it? Tehillah to David. Praise by David. You see it? Third line. Aromimcha, I exalt you, Elokai, my God, Hamelech, the King. And I bless your name, Laolam Vaed, forever and ever. There's another way to read this. The God, my King, you're exalted. You're up there. You're the greatest of the great. Right from A to Z, as we said, from Aleph to Taf. And still, I will bless you. The word bracha has another meaning. Bracha is also a channel. I will channel you down into this world. Shimcha, by your name, by calling your name. Le'olam, what does olam also mean? Besides forever? World. World. I'm going to channel you down into this world. Yes, you're great. Because you're not of the world. You're above the world. You're the creator of the world. Yet, I will channel you down into this world and realize through prayer, through Torah, through mitzvahs, how relevant you are. So the Tal the the Talmud we mentioned this last time, but I just think this is I just love this analogy. The Jerusalem version of the Talmud. There's two versions of the Talmud. Right? We just celebrated completion of the tractate. So Mike, when you run out of tractates in the in the Babylonian Talmud, which is what you studied, you'll have more to move on to, <laughs> because there's a there's a uh, Jerusalem version of the Talmud. It's actually an earlier version. Came about a hundred years earlier. So is it a complete set that's that talks about? Different or complementary issues to the Babylonian Talmud? It's um, it's the same Mishnah. The Talmud is essentially like a commentary on the Mishnah. So they're discussing seeing the same Mishnah, but it's, for the most part, a different group of scholars that had a different style of studying. And it was a different era. It was about 100 years earlier, and there were scholars in Jerusalem, not in Babylon, and they had a very different way of studying. You know, You know where it's most apparent? In the size of the books, <laughs> the, the Jerusalem Talmud's shorter. <laughs> they had more clarity when you're in the land of Israel. In a more spiritual zone, you have more clarity. But we generally follow the Babylonian Talmud because we're not clear people. We need that process, the back and forth debating process, as you were discussing before. So the Jerusalem Talmud gives an analogy. or It, it contrasts God, our king, to a mortal king. When it comes to a mortal king and you want something from that king, you book an appointment, 
the king may or may not answer you. And if the king does answer you, he's not going to deal with it directly. He's going to delegate it, and he's going to, and hopefully it will, trick you know, it will trickle down. And if it's important enough, it will get done. If it's not important enough, it won't get done. Right? Hold hold on one second. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> um. When it comes to God, on the other hand, you knock on his door and he lets you in. He says, what do you want? How can I help you? I'm here for you. Now, who's greater? Who's more powerful? A mortal king or God? But we know that God is more powerful than a mortal king. Yet, when it comes to a mortal king, he delegates. And when it comes to our relationship with God, he's ready to answer. Because he's so great that he's even relevant to us, even cares about us. That's how great he is. That's real leadership. A mortal king is a boss. God is a leader. Because he cares about us subjects. And the, the most beautiful illustration to me, the most beautiful illustration of this is the holiday season we just celebrated. Because we have Rosh Hashanah. In the theme of Rosh Hashanah, we coordinate God as our king. We blast the shofar. We say, HaMelech, God, you are the king. We exalt God. We extol God. And then Yom Kippur comes. And because God is so extolled, we have us, you know, Yom Kippur in many ways is a very reverent day, a very solemn day. Again, extolling God. And then there's like this 180, four days later, Sukkot. The pre-Aids Chaim, which is basically a collection of teachings, of Kabbalistic teachings of the Arizal, says, what is the minimum size of a sukkah? The minimum size of a sukkah is technically three walls, but it's actually two walls plus a little bit, plus a tefach. Tefach is a fist breadth. So you have to have two walls plus like three inches of a wall. So the pre-Aids Chaim says, you know what that is? That's God's embrace. One wall here, one wall there plus that tefach, God is giving us a hug when we sit in that sukkah. God is embracing us. Yes, he's lofty and he's our king. That's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But he's still going to embrace us. He's still relevant to us. He's he's Malkeinu. He's our king, but he's also Avinu. Avinu Malkeinu. He's our father and our king. He's willing to embrace us. That's how great he is. But Look, all of us, everybody, is going to be in a position of leadership in some level, in some form. Whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be uh, child rearing, or or whatever it is. And true greatness is the ability to give attention to everybody. Rabbi Raleigh told a story a couple of weeks ago. This was a nice story. There was a the, the chief rabbi of Dubai, Chabad rabbi of Dubai, Rabbi Levi Duchman, just celebrated his wedding in Dubai. This was like the wedding of the century. There was like a thousand guests at that wedding, or something like that. Something crazy. Was that the? Is that right? The number? I don't know. There was there was a bit. It was a big wedding. It was happening. You guys heard about it in the media? It was it was a you know it, it, every Arab dignitary, all the chief rabbis from all over uh, the Arab world and even beyond, chief rabbis from Israel were there. People were there celebrating. This rabbi, 
would go visit the prison Dubai every single week. His wedding was on like a Wednesday. And Tuesday, the day before the wedding, he made sure to make his prison visit for one Jew who was in prison in Dubai. He probably blinked the wrong way or something. So he ended up in... <laughs> Don't play this recording in Dubai. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but he was in prison for whatever reason. And Rabbi Duchman went to visit him. Rabbi Duchman is, has a lot in his plate. He's about to get married. He's running the Judaism of an entire country. The entire uh, existence of kosher in Dubai is contingent. Everything's contingent on him, the whole Jewish operation. But there's a Jew in prison who needs him. And he's going to go. He's not too big for him. He's not too good for him. That that emulates God. That's how we emulate God. God is so great. From Aleph until Tav, which is the theme of the Ashray, from A to Z. And he's so relevant. He opens up his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. I'll tell you another place where we see this. Yesterday in Simchas Torah, Simchas Torah is probably the most spiritual of days. It really is. We live in a different plane on Simchas Torah. You have energy that you didn't know you had. You have passion that you didn't know existed. You had joy that you didn't even know you can... It's an incredible day. It really is. Because it's the culmination of everything. The Torah calls it Shmini Atzeret. What does the word Atzeret mean? Anybody know? So has a few additional. Minutes. So Atzeret means... It literally means the, the a day of stopping. A day where... Another way of interpreting Atzeret is a day of collecting. Everything that we've accomplished through the preparatory month of Elul before Rosh Hashanah, Selichos, Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of Teshuvah, Yom Kippur. We celebrate the embrace on Sukkot, and now we celebrate it. We collect it all on Simchas Torah. It's a very spiritual day. And what's the Torah reading? In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Wait a minute. We're above the world right now. Why are we talking about the world? That's God. God may be above the world because he's its creator, but he's very relevant to the world. He very much cares about the world. There's a teaching from from Rabbi Mordechai of Chernobyl. Rabbi Mordechai of Chernobyl was a son of the illustrious Hasidic Rebbe Nachum of Chernobyl. Reb Nachum of Chernobyl was an incredible... You know what their last name was? Tversky. You know the Tversky family? Tversky families are... the are You know, the, the famed Rabbi Tversky passed away a couple of years ago. The, the Rabbi Rabbi Dr. Abraham J. Tversky, famous psychiatrist. So he was a direct descendant from the Chernobyl uh, Rebbes. Reb Nachum of Chernobyl has incredible stories. They say that he was so spiritually attuned that when he would... Answer to Kaddish, Yehei Shmei Rabbah, he would literally gain weight. That was his food. I had a rabbi, he was teaching us this. He joked, he says, I get I gain weight from Borei Mine Mezonot. He would gain he would gain weight from, from Yehei Shmei Rabbah. <laughs> so his son, Rabbi Mordechai Shanabal, taught something fascinating. He says, Look throughout the Ashray in the Hebrew. Each sentence going in the word of the Alephate is comprised of two. 
In other words, there's a sentence, part of a sentence, a comma, then the sentence concludes, right? Each sentence is broken up with a vav in the middle. So let's start from Tzihila Ladavid. We're not going to read the whole thing, but just to get the idea. Do you see it? We'll read it in the Hebrew because it's going to make more sense in the Hebrew than the English. Third line on the Hebrew, Tzihila Ladavid, a praise by David, I exalt you, my God, the king. Then look at the next line, Va'avarcha, and I bless you. Right? I'm going to skip to the next sentence. Every single day I bless you. And I praise you. We'll do one more just to get the idea. Great is God and very praiseworthy. And to his greatness. So there is a praise and then an and. An and, right? And as a continuation, vav as a prefix in Hebrew means and. There's one sentence that does not contain that vav, that and, in the second half of the clause. Take a look on 32. Starts with a kuf. That's a good hint because it goes in order of the aleph base. <coughs> Do you see it? It's towards the bottom. Six lines from the bottom. Karov Hashem. God is close to all those who call him. To all those who call him with truth. If you talk to God genuinely, he'll be close to you. There's no and. There's no and there. All the other ones have an and. Avav, this is the only one. What's unique about this? So Mordechai of Chernobyl explains. This is going back to historical context. Over two centuries ago, Mordechai of Chernobyl explains each one of these praises can theoretically be attributed to a mortal king. But not this one. There's no if ands and brats. It doesn't apply to anybody else. A mortal king can't possibly be attentive to everybody. He can't possibly... <clears throat> Treat everybody with their needs and take care of their needs or take even notice of their needs. Think of the president of the United States. Whether you like him or not, he doesn't know your name. I'm assuming. I'm assuming he doesn't know any of our names. I know he doesn't know my name. Right? And that's a country with 300 million people. And if you want to be generous, how many of them are citizens? I don't know, 200 million? Let's say 200 million citizens. Is that fair? Okay, he doesn't even know all the citizens' names. God, the creator of the world, with 7 billion people, knows all of our names. Holds all of us accountable. And the day that we call, genuinely, he answers. Because he's relevant to us. He's so great that he's relevant. Rather than so great that he's abstract. Usually holy is understood as being removed, which holy does essentially being mean removed. But God figured out how to be holy and to still be relevant. It's our job just to become aware. That's why we recite this prayer. <clears throat> now, if we rewind to the beginning of the prayer, you see it? So there's a sentence here. 
which is not from that same area in Psalms. It's a cut and paste from a different portion of the Psalms. What's it doing there? <laughs> in other words, the Psalm essentially starts from Tehillah, the David, verse number three. Why is the word Ashri Why is that sentence Ashri Yosha added? Happy are those who dwell in your house. They will yet praise you forever. Commentaries explain. You want to realize and praise God, realize how great God is, and how relevant God is. It takes preparation. Before you praise God forever and ever, happy are those who dwell in your house. You first have to dwell in his house. You have to sit down and meditate. Let's take a look at the Hebrew. The first line. Ashrei, happy are those. Yoshve, who sit. Beitecha, in your house. Oh, then, then they'll praise you. First, sit down. Meditate. Think about to whom we're talking to. And then we can praise him. Then we can appreciate this duality of how great he is, yet how relevant he is. Takes a little bit of meditation first. Getting in the mood. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.